1: on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.
0: Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist, and I'm here today with Crystal Catalina, our emotional badass soul care coach, and we are discussing archetypes, and raising our vibration. For those of you getting to know Crystal, she has a wealth of experience to share with you. She has expertise in mental health, nutrition, fitness, emergency medicine, and special needs childcare. She is a highly sensitive person and an empath like me. And we are excited to connect today and talk about raising our vibe. Thank you for being here, Crystal.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me again. This is so much fun. I really enjoy these meetings. Yay, I do
0: too. I do too. So, all right, let's jump right in. I I have been thinking lately about something you've said to me actually about how I might be a little more woo woo than I realize. (laughs) And and when we were going to talk about raising our vibes and archetypes, I've really been thinking about the first times in my life when someone was talking to me about vibes. And I didn't really understand what they meant because I think I grew up with so much tension and so much dysfunction that I wasn't really aware that a different vibe, a different feeling, a a different mm, vibration or frequency was available to me. So I think for a lot of our listeners who have survived a lot or are still really... In the struggle of figuring themselves, their family system out, what they've been through when they were little, might not even know what we mean by vibes. How would you describe vibes to somebody?
2: Oh, that's so great. I love how you mentioned like not being aware that it's even available because it really is available to all of us, but it can be really hard to see or feel or know when we're up in the yuck in the challenging vibe. (laughs) So vibes really are everything and everywhere. All of us, all of matter, everything that we walk on, everything that we sit on, that we use, that we live, that we breathe, it's all vibrating. Everything's made of energy.
0: And maybe we know this as highly sensitive people on an intuitive level because even as a child like there were objects that i liked and there were objects i didn't like like if we're going to pick up a rock it's because there's something that's drawing us to pick up that rock and not this other rock over here even um i just bought like some silverware for my new house like the feel of that silverware was very important to me about like all right i'm going to touch this all the time like how does this feel to me and different things give different vibes to different People.
2: Yes, everything has a frequency. I think the earliest on experience I had with like being able to see the vibrating vibes was like, you know, I grew up in Texas and it's so hot and the asphalt will get so, so hot that you can literally see the energy. I mean, it's steam, but it's like you can see. It's not even steam. It's like the vibes <laughs> coming it's off the, of the, the heat.
0: The heat wave, and you see yeah. it, you feel it. The thing that proved vibes to me finally when I was sitting with this idea of therapists and other like minded people bringing this to me, and I just felt skeptical about it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, vibes. Sure, 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 sure. Was walking into some rooms after people had had fights, arguments that were really heated. And I, I think. For a lot of us, that might be the thing that proves energy because most of us have had the experience of walking in a room where somebody has had an uncomfortable conflict. And we don't know why. We can't put our finger on it. We can't really draw what that energy is, the shape or the color. We we don't necessarily see a shape or a color, but we feel it. So becoming more aware of our vibes as a highly sensitive person starts to give us, I think, the ability or the permission to start to work with those vibes instead of feeling maybe the victim of vibes or like vibes come out of left field. And this is just what's happening to me today. And I'm powerless. So I think this acknowledgement of there are vibes, we do feel them. Even if that feels a little uncomfortably woo-woo to some of us, we know that that's real. Different animals, different dogs give us different Vibes, different humans give us different vibes. So I'm hoping today that this episode helps people feel more of a sense of empowerment about being able to guide their vibe. I think we hear like change your vibe, but maybe for this episode, we can talk about it more like guide your vibe. So, what are some ways in general that you work to raise your vibe? What do you do?
2: Honestly, initially, it's being willing to. Sit in the discomfort, or sit in the awareness of, ooh, my vibe is obviously off today." <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: so if I play devil's
0: advocate with you and, and give you like a resistant self to that, why should I sit with the funky vibe? Why yeah. is that smart? Why is that smart? <laughs> Because there are parts of me, my inner child is like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. It's like, what is the wisdom in being with the funky vibe?
2: Sure. So really the, what I have learned through even my own life experience, because I think through the process of my awakening, I guess you might say, or, you know, it's a process. We never get there completely, but in the beginning, I was like, oh, I just need to, I just need to raise my vibe. I just, I just need to shift it like really quick because I know being negative is not good for me. <laughs> and also like, I would like push to shift my vibe really quickly when in actuality, all I was doing was pushing down the emotion or the mess of whatever was supposed to, I was supposed to be processing and working through. So (laughs) really that, that willingness to be present with it is the first step in the healing process to raise the vibe and not just push it down.
0: So that sounds to me like calling in the wise woman, Mm. our wisest, most mature self that can really look at, the human experience of emotion and vibration and really understand in a, in a real true and grounded way that that part of us that wants to constantly be in a high vibe, when we really zoom out and go, what is that? What is that? I think there's an idealized inner child in all of, I want to say all of us, maybe it's just most of us, maybe it's those of us that have insight, but I suspect it's really in all of us in different ways that really would like to live in the utopia of, I never feel badly. Everything is rainbows and bunnies and sunshine. And I can just be aware of funk. And the second I'm aware of it, I can shift out of it. Therefore, I never have to feel funky. I never have to explore these low down vibes. And I think our wise self, if we call that part in, knows at least on some level that's not really available. That's not real. It's not possible. It's not honoring of what the real human
2: experience is. You took the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely, (laughs) it is part of the human experience to have the highs and the lows. That's what we're here to do. We're here to go through that. Contrast and learn from it.
0: And maybe that's the part that we resist and reject. Like we don't want that contrast. We don't want that conflict, especially as sensitive people. So there might be a bit of acceptance work yeah. around being able to work with our vibes, work with our mood, work with our feeling, work even with our environment to improve vibes. All right. So you're saying that the number one thing the first sort of thing to do is to start to acknowledge I am in a funky vibe. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm irritated. Okay. Then what?
2: Then it's thinking about how can I baby step my way into a little bit better than. So thinking about, the emotional guidance scale, where, you know, if you're in a place of full on feeling depression and hopelessness, the next baby step up might be anger. But we think about anger, how is that any better? That's, that's a bad emotion. right? (laughs) That's still uncomfortable. Like, how is that better? But when we think about it, like stepping into anger, there's a place of power. There's there's a resonance, a frequency of power there going from powerlessness to I'm in a place where I'm angry and I'm willing to yell and stomp and scream and and, and advocate for myself.
0: So... We're, well, we're, we're both Southern women. And I'm thinking how, how much directly and indirectly I was raised that that is wrong. We're not supposed to do that. I think in general, we don't have a good relationship with the feelings we think of as bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a wild idea if I ask you to challenge yourself to zoom out from sort of the badness or the goodness of emotions and consider that the entire spectrum of emotionality has utility, has usefulness. We don't, we don't just feel something like anger just to ruin our day, just to deplete our energy or to feel terrible. Anger really is a sign that something is wrong some boundary has been crossed. There has been some sort of violation, whether it's physical, emotional, mental. Sometimes we're angry with ourselves when we don't live to our own principles or our own values. That means we're crossing our own emotional boundaries with ourselves. So part of this awakening is starting to deal with anger and the low vibe emotions in a different way other than saying no 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 bad 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 and starting to go hey what what wisdom is within this discomfort this intensity what can it teach me what can it show me what can it hold for me yeah what have you learned by sitting
2: in something like anger i've learned to ask myself what is the anger rooted in often it can look like anger or feel like anger when really there's it that is blanketing another emotion or experience or there there's something under the anger there's something more and that's That's how, you know, emotion brings us messages, right? It's like, okay, well, what's the underlying message under the anger? And is what I'm really angry about truly what I'm angry about? What I think what I'm angry about, is it really what I'm angry about? Or is this like festering another wound that I've had in the past? Yeah, it's teaching me to ask more questions getting curious instead of feeling shame about the anger.
0: That's a big part of an awakening. I think for most of us within ourselves or with other people, we've seen people get angry, even in movies, we've seen people get angry and anger seems to equal instantaneous reactivity a lot Mm. of the time. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is sitting in, in the low vibe feelings that typically my younger self would run from is showing me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can slow down. I don't have to be reactive. This gives me a chance to respond first to myself instead of outwardly blaming, shaming, lashing out, maybe throwing something, all these sort of anger behaviors giving somebody a dirty look, right? So this permission to start to work with the feelings instead of reject them, run away from them, starts to help you uncover more of what's really truly going on instead of what it looks like on the surface.
2: Yes. Instead of your typical, oh, I just need to raise my vibe real quick.
0: (laughs) Part of what I've learned from sitting with the funky emotions within my process is a that I can I can there's no feeling that's going to kill me or hurt me or rip my arm off even when it feels like it might I really can be with these emotions there's no frantic energy of desperation telling me I can't handle it i've got to go to a different place that's other than exactly where i am So I think there's also a lot of practicing being with ourselves in the present moment, slowing down, and being willing to peel back those initial angry layers. And of course, that's our top layer. It's a tough layer. It's a strong layer. It's a layer that says, hey, don't mess with me. I can be tough if I need to be. We see that in animals in the wild. We see that sometimes when new dogs meet each other and they posture a little bit. They're kind of saying, hey, I don't know if I can trust you yet. You know, do I need to get angry to tell you to back off or not? And we feel that. So I think in part it's given me peace to be able to not be so frightened and sort of impulsively wanting to run away from the emotions that I wouldn't ever consciously choose or want for me or for anybody.
2: Yeah. And through this process you really do become more able to regulate your vibe you know and and your vibe will raise over time when you allow yourself that personal investment of sitting in it first and really getting curious about it before just like forging forward to Raise it instead of like surrender to it and then allow the raising. It's very different.
0: Most of the clients that work with you and I are healing their nervous system. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, if we really think about nervous system and vibes, like I said at the beginning of the show, like my vibe was just activated, it was just stressed, it was frazzled,
2: frayed uh, at the end of my rope. When you are in such a place of feeling that desperation, it really is challenging to sit in it because there might need to be some work first in creating safety or shifting up the environment. You know, like there's it's it's like the maslow's hierarchy of needs you know we really need to create a solid foundation before we can even start working on shifting the vibes it's because if the vibe truly is one of abuse or manipulation or you know if we're if we're in that thick fog We might really need to work on that piece before we can start regulating ourselves because the vibe is giving us messages too of, oh, I might need to get out of this situation. What have I I maybe been ignoring?
0: Regulate is really hitting me when I hear you say that the nervous system piece of so many people that we work with healing their nervous system, I think is that I the, the, the potential sadness or, or even tragedy is a big word, but I, I do think it's tragic when I see someone who is reading all the books, who is listening to all the podcasts, who's going to therapy every week, who is just working so hard and they're doing the things That on paper, check all the boxes of excellent self-care, but they feel desperate because they think it's not working. I think very often what's missing there and what often is missing in traditional talk therapy is being able to name this, is you can't just do these things. You have to do these new things and bring a different vibe and practice feeling things like calm. I had to admit to myself at some point that I really didn't know how to feel calm. I didn't know how to feel peaceful. I didn't know how to not be in my head running around a million miles an hour with thoughts. So I was doing all the box checking things for years in my self-development, frustrated, feeling more and more powerless. Because if I'm doing all these things and it's not working, oh my goodness, I must be really messed up and I am just going to be messed up. And I can't really think of thoughts that could be more depressing than that, but to be trying so hard and to not have it working. And so in this way, this is a very important episode because I think there there will be listeners who maybe click together today, maybe for the first time that they've been doing the right things, but they're bringing that old mode, that old franticness, that desperateness that anger, that that deep, oh my gosh, am I about to be betrayed at every turn? They're bringing that into the new practice. And that that's not going to work. And I, I, this is part of why I'm so bold with what I say on the show and to my clients, because I wish there was someone in my history that would have just said, Nikki, stop. You're doing the right things, but you're doing it in the wrong vibe. And I, I know that I'm using black and white language, but sometimes... It is simple and black and white. And this is one of those times where we can't just practice a new thing. We have to also practice a new vibe.
2: How did you go about doing that? I'm curious. Like somebody might be wondering like, well, how do I practice calm? How do I show up for the things with a new vibe?
0: Consciously? That's what mindfulness is for. It's what it did for me. If we can't see ourselves and and mindfulness basically boiled down is like being a little birdie that sits on your own shoulder. So you become that little birdie and you let that little birdie watch. I needed my little birdie to kind of watch me and go, hey, Nikki, look what you're doing. I had a yoga teacher call me out once because I would frantically attempt to get to the yoga class driving through Houston traffic. And she finally, like, I think she noticed the pattern of me getting there and having a frantic vibe. Like, oh shit, I don't want to be the one that's late. I don't want to disturb the class. Like, so much pressure, so much perfectionism, so much people-pleasing. I didn't want the teacher to think I was disrespectful because I couldn't get there on time, even though I was rushing and Houston traffic is crazy. And I would come into class with that energy. And Mm -hmm. I really had to laugh at myself because when she pointed this out, the little birdie watching me really like, it's funny at a point. Like when it's not sad, it's funny. It's like, oh yeah, I am wearing myself out, stressing myself out, trying to get to the thing that's going to de-stress me. This is like one step forward, three steps back. What am I doing? So it, it, it's learning that these are not... like Yoga had to become for me, not a class I went to take. I had to take my yoga, as they say, off the mat and into the world. Mm. So if I was really being a yogi, then I realized I had to bring more integrity to that within myself. I had to actually practice when I wasn't on that damn mat. I had to actually practice being calm and peaceful and taking a breath, not just as I like extend my arms for like a triangle pose, but when I'm actually like turning the wheel in the Houston traffic in my car. And so what I want the most for listeners and for people who work with us is to really understand that. The more that you give yourself permission to bring this sort of strategy into all the moments of your life, instead of continuing to practice like I had done for so long, a frantic energy, and then let me stop this frantic energy as I do the calming self-care thing. Now it's time to take a bath yes. with a lit candle and an incense. Box checked, box checked, but I'm going to get in the tub and stress. No, this is not helping me. This is not honoring with some clarity what I'm actually going towards. So I think there's a lot of personal ownership. And, and I, I say to people now, try to be monk-like in all of your movements, in all of your thoughts. I said this yesterday to somebody. If my dog pukes outside of my door right now, old me would go out there and go, great, something I have to clean up, another mess. How am I ever going to get everything done? That's my day. Just putting out fires. Can't control it. Can't stay on track. Getting distracted. Stress, stress, stress as I'm cleaning up. That's not how a monk does it in my mind. <laughs> I think we all have that. Talk about an archetype that we can use. We're going to talk about archetypes in a minute. But this, this monk-like quality. you know I picture a monk moving with those robes with just a quiet deliberateness like unruffled, you know, unbothered. And they really meet each moment with a a grace and a gratitude. If a monk was here to clean up my dog's puke, I think that monk would meet that moment with an energy that says, I'm here to take care of this animal that is in my care. This is part of me taking care of him and Beautiful. and and clean that up at almost like as a gift to the caretaking of that dog and to the honoring of me as his shepherd. And I would do that slowly. And with a gratitude, that's that's just a little spit up. I know that that's not a big deal. There's, there's nothing wrong with him. He is safe and he is healthy. And thank goodness I am here to notice this and clean it up for him and for me and for my home. And that really is the embodiment of, I think, getting out of that sort of learned, continuous, frantic, stressed, not enough time vibe that is so mindlessly easy for a highly sensitive person or an empath to practice without even knowing that that's what they're practicing.
2: I don't know about everyone else, but I'm going to go through the rest of my day and the rest of my week with a little monk on my shoulder. <laughs> I like that even better than the little birdie. Yeah. sitting there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So I I have a deck of cards in front of me. It is Caroline Mises, Miss Mises. I'm not quite sure how to say it. Archetype cards, a big red box, very popular deck. When I pulled it out, Crystal, you said I used to have that deck. I (laughs) might have this deck because of you sharing this deck with me. Really? Uh (sighs) Uh-huh. So many years ago. Yes. So I pulled some archetype cards Will you explain to our listeners what is an archetype?
2: Yeah, so an archetype is a theme. It's kind of like a a personality theme, but it's it can also be considered like a vibe. <laughs> so I love that you brought archetypes into this conversation about vibes, but you know, we all Take on different themes and roles, and throughout our lives, and even throughout our day. (laughs) So it doesn't necessarily mean we have one archetype. Uh, We can have multiple archetypes. But you know, we've got you know the hero, hero, and the the superwoman, the rescuer. You know, like the mother, the nurturer. You know, there's all these all these different. roles that we play.
0: Carl Jung is sort of known as the father of archetypes. So this comes from a lot of his psychology, if you're interested in learning more about archetypes. And Crystal is exactly right. She even named some of the archetypes that I pulled to talk about this. So the first one that I want to talk about is the rescuer. And these Caroline Mies cards are very beautiful. They, they are set up as a light attribute and a shadow attribute, a lightness and a darkness. Part of working with archetypes is also understanding that we all have a dark side. Even the most light-filled of us, Mother Teresa had a dark side. <laughs> like Everyone <laughs> has a dark side. And the idea is that to be a fully integrated, secure human being with ourselves, we can't deny that dark part of humanity. And it's got some scary stuff in there for a lot of us. It, it's things like all of us could be pushed to violence. You know, that's part of, of integrating and owning. And the reason that we work to own that kind of darkness is because if we don't own it and we pretend like it doesn't exist, that's exactly when it will overtake us and sneak up on us.
2: Oh, yes. That is the shadow.
0: That is the shadow. So the rescuer as an archetype has light attribute providing strength and support to others in crisis acts out of love with no expectation of reward. The shadow attribute is that the rescuer assumes that the rescued will reciprocate, keeps the rescued one needy. What are your insights about this sort of continuum of vibe from light to shadow?
2: It's a, it's a real continual process for me. This, this is a spectrum that I continually am dropping into because I am such a helper. Uh, and I, I continually need to check in with myself on am I doing this out of pure like unconditional desire to help or do I have is is my shadow having some kind of expectation attached to this thing that I'm reaching out to help with Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) at a time when change is constant
0: And enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. This is a very important one for all helpers, all healers, anybody that is in this space where we are offering care. I mean, what a what a kooky thing to try to find the balance of, too, about what is too much, what is too little, when is it for them in a sort of a pure form, and when is it for me? And when we're helping for ourselves, it starts to get sticky, it starts to get murky, it starts to get darker instead of light. A lot of the listeners, and I think Crystal and I both identify or... If we don't know it yet, may fit the criteria of codependency, and this really is the struggle. Often, people who are healing codependency ask me, "Well, is this behavior codependent or not?" And increasingly, what I'm saying to that is, you know, it's the codependency isn't really wrapped up in the behavior as much as it's wrapped up in the vibe. You're Boom. shaking your
2: head. Yeah, what you <laughs> yeah, it's things can look the same, like the the action. The action in and of itself is neutral, but it's the intention behind it that defines whether it's a codependent behavior or not.
0: This always, anytime we're talking about the rescuer, it makes me think of getting gifts as a kid. And I had a great aunt who would give me like $5 and a birthday card. All the years of my life, this is how I received money from anyone in my family. It was put in a card, but you were told what to buy with it. It was like, this is for socks, or this is for underwear, or this is for a new book. Hmm? I come from an amazingly codependent family. And so gr- so growing up and having my own awakening was a lot of looking back at that and going, huh, and and realizing what is the vibe. If you've ever gotten a gift like that, here, I'm giving you something, but I want to tell you what to do with it.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: Yes. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, that always feels a little mixed. We feel a little confused in that moment. Like, thank you very much. But if I, if I look back at that vibe of receiving a gift like that, if I put words to it now, what I would have said as a kid, if I had my adult consciousness with me is, thank you so much, but no, thank you. Thank you so much I'll just take the card like you could have your five bucks back because I it, it really is an extension of control and codependent Ooh. people are really controlling they give with strings attached and that feels icky that we talk about not having attachments not having expectations for others so when we give with an expectation that somebody's going to do what we want with it we're really asking that person to let us control them
2: oh Yep.
0: And that is not the, the high vibe, clear spirit of giving a gift.
2: This know. reminds me of a friend's episode Okay. <laughs> where Joey was telling Phoebe, there's no, there is no unselfish good deed. And Phoebe got really upset at that statement. <laughs> she was like, no, I'm going to prove it to you. You know, that there are good deeds that are not selfish, but, <laughs> and but she kept like doing these good deeds and he kept coming back at her with, well, but did that feel good or, but what, what did you get out of that? And she would get so frustrated and she's like, oh, you're right. But so I think in every, in every helping role, right. Every time we step into this archetype, there is, there is some good vibes associated with ourselves with it too. But the, the indicator between it being on the spectrum of positive versus negative, the light versus the shadow is truly that control piece that you're talking about, because it's okay for it to feel good. And that deed can actually raise our vibe. When we're in a funk, when we do something for someone else, gosh, that really can raise our vibe. I think that's the, yeah, what's the but? (laughs) The but is... How are we utilizing that deed? Are we utilizing it to, with an intention to control? Are we utilizing it with an intention to only raise our vibe and not really raise that other person's vibe? (laughs) Here's your $5 and socks. And I really don't care what you think about that. Yep. Yep,
0: and another way I could have played that is receiving it and going inside of myself, I'm going to spend it on whatever I want and they don't get to control me. So I think what you're talking about is really how complex and complicated relating really is and that it it's never ever going to be nor has it ever been black or white. I think that's maybe what was in that friends episode that anytime we do good for somebody in the human condition, that is going to feel warm. It's going to feel light filled. It's going to feel maybe like a very delicious exhale of goodness. And that's okay. It really is okay. This isn't about 100% pure giving. I don't know that it's available. We wouldn't give if it didn't feel good. Yes. Why would we? (laughs) so the more this might be part of the the more that we learn, the more we learn that we can't really know all the things like there's nothing that's going to be definitive. There's no formula for this. There's feeling through. All right. I'm going to let you pick the next archetype card. Virgin or victim. Oh,
2: let's do... Let's do virgin. I feel like victim's too easy. All right.
0: And I think this is a big deal in our society, right? Like we're we're sort of in this weird place of Tinder for years and years and sort of like real quick, easy sex. And also what's being reported is that young people are having less sex than ever before. So this is really interesting to think about right now. The virgin as an archetype as a vibe the light attribute maintaining symbolic purity of heart and spirit Mm. and the shadow attribute is a fear of intimate union
2: wow the shadow is having a wall up but really like it it could be viewed that a wall is up either way again that that external view but it's the intention or vibe underneath the external view.
0: Yeah. I think this is an important one to think about. I have more parents of teenagers and kind of pre-adolescent kids telling me that their kids are self-reporting being asexual. And Wow. Yeah. And I think that's something that you got to really get into your twenties. You got to have some life experience to kind of feel out and really see if that sticks. What I suspect... Is that it's really scary to grow up? It's really scary to be vulnerable, and that might be a really good mask to just go. I'm asexual. I don't have to do any of this. I'm going to stay this virgin, and then I don't have to deal with all of that form of relating
2: and vulnerability. I was not aware of the statistic at all. Of course, I'm. I'm kind of. I haven't been working with uh, children as much as I have in the past. So like post covid, I'm curious if this is like a an emergence since kids were isolated for so long.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. And and forced to not socialize in the natural way that they that they would. And so and that's that's a really good point because I think that's part of the time we're living through in mental health right now is that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we are going to be looking back at this time. This time is going to be studied about what happened to our individualistic and collective mental health. Yes. These things that we did with our fingers crossed, hoping for the greater good that had never been done before in our in our modern history, we're, we're not going to know. So I, for me, this time now, my heart so goes out to parents that are parenting through this time. And if you're sort of scientifically minded and waiting for studies to tell you which way to go, I don't think you're going to get that about the time we're living through right now for another decade at a minimum. And so we really, this may be a call to really work on our intuition. Absolutely. That has to be part of what's influencing that new trend. I've been working with people since 2006. This is a new trend combined with being in online communities. So they find other kids that go, oh yeah, I'm this too. And then it gets validated and they kind of hang out in this space. So if I had a child saying that to me, I would encourage them to, I would hear them, I would validate them that that's what they're feeling. That's what they're thinking about themselves, but also validate that lots Mm -hmm. is going to change as you grow and evolve. And and I would hate for any child to pre-decide That a whole sexual world and connection and intimacy is just not for them before having more exploration, more time on the planet, more trial and error, and more openness to, huh, what if I do meet somebody I'm attracted to and who's attracted to me? What might I like to do with that? And is this a way for me to just hide from vulnerability? Or is this who I really am? That's why figuring out... Mm. These sort of identifiers, like we're living through the time of identity, right? In politics and in, in youth. That's why it's so important to stay open to developing into who you are instead of pre-deciding who you are.
2: Yeah. The labels can be helpful for identification purposes, while at the same time, they don't have to be concrete. It's Okay. For them to shift.
0: I think it's inevitable for shifting. And and I think that's part (laughs) of what's maybe missing from the bigger conversation, especially for those of you who are listening to this show. If you have a seeker spirit, it's like we shed skin like snakes, like over and over and over again. Like we really, in some ways, we're always who we are. And in other ways, we are constantly evolving into who we are. Yes. All right, let's do one more.
2: That was a good one.
0: Was a good one. All right. Ooh, the Don Juan or the femme fatale.
2: This is like, I feel like it's like the total opposite of the virgin. It is. <laughs> that is what
0: I picked. Maybe we should do both of them. All right. If I do the Don Juan, the light attribute, and anyone who doesn't know what Don Juan means, like that's a reference to. Um, and a well, character, I believe, that was just very, very good with the ladies. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so Don Juan, the light, at- the light attribute would be spotlights your positive seductive qualities. Mm. The shadow attribute using the power of romantic attraction for private agendas.
2: Ooh. Yeah. I think in the positive light you know what comes along with that description you know um showing up with a confident vibe showing up with a vibe that is an effective communicator you know like there's all these other positive attributes that come along with that where we might initially be like ew i don't like that kind of machismo <laughs> kind of energy mm-hmm. But often what's tied to the machismo is that context of having other agendas.
0: I like reading this statement as the light attribute. It spotlights your positive, seductive qualities. We're talking about the masculine form of this. I'm going to read the femme fatale, which is the the feminine counterpart. But this really makes me think about what we said about gift giving. I think a lot of straight men, a lot of gay men through this modern time are really getting shamed if they want sex. And that is a natural part of who they are. And, they're, and just because they may want that doesn't mean that they are in the shadow attribute, the darkness. There's a way to manipulate. That's what the shadow attribute says, using the power of romantic attraction for private agendas. To use somebody, to objectify them, to kind of toss them out, like after you gratify your sexual desire, that's the shadow attribute. But there are ways to honor that sexual interest, even that goal of wanting sexual fulfillment and to not feel bad about that. I I think young men need to be able to embrace that they are sexual beings, they are visual beings. And it's okay to step in to the light attribute of a little bit of Don Juanness <laughs> yes, what do you think about that in men?
2: Yeah, I truly do believe that men have been shamed um overly shamed for just their primal nature. and I love how you described yes, they are visual beings, (laughs) you know, and, and they, um, they it's, it's okay. It's okay to have this very human desire as a male or a female truly.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's look at the femme fatale, the light attribute Of the femme fatale, and there's a beautiful woman in a backless dress on this card. Mm -hmm. Her light attribute is that it highlights the erotic energy of the feminine, opens your heart when your dependency is rejected. And the shadow attribute, the low vibe quality of the femme fatale, is an inappropriate use of sensuality, attachment to power, and money. So, this is really where. I think a woman objectifies herself in the shadow attribute. And in the light, it's more of an an ownership of an erotic energy, a permission to be with that sexual side that for so many women generationally were just not allowed to explore, not allowed to be shamed out of their own eroticism, their own sensuality and their sexuality. What comes up for you in the light attribute highlights the erotic energy of the feminine opens your heart when your dependency is rejected. Oh.
2: What comes to mind for me is really an awareness of true desire without feeling shame for it and using it in a way that is positive and empowering for all parties involved whether it's within a monogamous relationship whether it's within a poly relationship it's being aware of your desires and yeah utilizing them in a way that's truly um beautiful and bountiful for everyone involved You know, and being able to communicate that in a way to where everyone just truly feels understood, no matter what the parameters of it are. You know, like it doesn't have to be a long-term relationship in order to be uh, positive and effective.
0: And fulfilling.
2: Fulfilling.
0: Well said. You brought beautiful words to that. Yeah. What strikes me about this is sort of the opposite in terms of the shadow, but the similarity of the virgin. If we have the virgin in the femme fatale, if the virgin just puts a wall up and blocks intimacy in the shadow of the femme fatale, she goes for sex, right? But if she gets away from her own personhood and makes herself do those acts for money or power, It's almost the opposite of the virgin, but still a darkness, Mm. one with no sex, one with sex. What do you think?
2: Gosh, it's deep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's the truth of all of us. Like We are dealing with deep vibes. We're talking about raising our
2: vibration
0: through wisdom of our archetypes
2: yeah and just awareness and a willingness to get curious and explore
0: all the same self care still applies to rising to to raising our vibe y'all the bubble baths <laughs> yeah. the salt baths lighting candles meditating yoga exercise walking gratitude practice what happens if you give yourself permission to work with your vibe. Mm. Thank y'all for being on the show with me and Crystal Catalina. I am currently on waitlist to work with me. Crystal is accepting new clients. Learn more about her, her history, her mental health education, her availability and book with her now at emotionalbadass.com/coaching come check both of us out at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. We have a very special bonus live stream coming up for you at all levels of Patreon. Our soul care coach, Crystal Catalina, will be doing an hour long live stream on Patreon on the topic of holidays and emotional eating. We'll be streaming December 1st. And you can come ask all of your questions about holidays, emotional eating, and how to take care of yourself around food and cravings. So jump on Patreon at any level, patreon.com backslash emotional badass to ask Crystal any questions that you want. Normally, our live streams are at the $10 level, but this special holiday live stream with Crystal will be available at all levels of Patreon. So you can hop right on, check out everything we have for you there at the $2 or $5 level, and you'll get all the content there and check out this special live stream. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass. Crystal is an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. And I will see you right here next time. Bye-bye.